We're in Matthew 22, verse 23. Matthew 22, verse 23. And on that day, some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and questioning him. Asking, Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies having no children, his brother, as next of kin, shall marry his wife and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers with us, and the first married and died, and having no children, left his wife to, the, to his brother. So also the second and the third, down to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had married her. And Jesus answered and said to them, You're mistaken, not understanding the scriptures of the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Okay, so there were, there were four main sects of Judaism. Four main sects. You had the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Zealots. And we, we hear a lot more about the Pharisees than we do of the Sadducees, but actually the Sadducees had more seats on the Sanhedrin, the governing body of, of the Jews the, in Israel at that point. So the Sadducees were, were quite an active uh, body. And the second then was the Pharisees. And, and each of them had, had a little bit different uh, uh, thoughts on, on that. And if you ever want the overview on that, I have a little sheet that says what each one of the, the sects believed. But the thing about the Sadducees is that they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in life after the dead. In other words, that there was some paradise that human beings were going to to have, have this everlasting life. They didn't believe in angels. The Pharisees actually believed in all of those. And so if you, if you think about Pharisees, we are actually much closer to Pharisees in evangelical thought than we are to Sadducees. And I know it's like, I'm not a Pharisee, but... Actually, in, 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 uh, uh, theo- theologically, we're, we're actually not far off from where the, the Pharisees were. So now the Sadducees, and remember, this is a, a major ruling sect, come to him and they start questioning him about the resurrection. So it says they came to him, and, they, and it says specifically in verse 23, who say there is no resurrection. So, so when Matthew is writing this, he's telling us this has something to do with their belief that there is no resurrection. And they came to him and they told him this story of this woman. And they said, it says in the law of Moses that when a, when a man dies and he's married and he has no children, that his next younger brother is to marry, or his brother, whoever that brother may be, is to marry this woman, is to raise up children. And it happened that there was the oldest brother married this woman, he died, and then the next brother, and the next brother, and the next brother. And I don't know if this is a real story or not, or a hypothetical story, but, I mean, if it's a real story, imagine those brothers as, you know, one brother after another must have been, you know, terrible living with this woman. I mean, she drove men to the grave <laughs> in succession. Imagine the parents of these young men. So, if it's a real story, it's, 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 
It's a rough life. Imagine that, you know, the seventh brother, I mean, he's doomed. <laughs> Poor woman is stuck with the whole family. Yeah, I mean, you could look at it that way. Um, one could look at it that way. But they never drove her to the grave. In any case, you know, this was probably a pretty typical question in that day that the Sadducees would bring up. You know, people, people will, will come and they'll, they'll try to be so clever and they'll say, I have a question. What's your question? Can God make a stone that he can't lift? Oh, like, I've never heard that before. That's so unique. You know, and so this is, may well have been the typical Sadducee question. And Jesus had, had probably you know, you know, heard this one before. But anyway, so they go through in the sequence. Now, it does say in the law of Moses that this is what's supposed to happen. So that if, if one man dies that he, and he has no children, that he's supposed to take his brother's wife. Now, I'm very thankful that we don't live under the law of Moses anymore. Uh, because I wouldn't like to have to risk taking my brother's wife. And, and uh, <laughs> you know, I... We don't live under the law of Moses. Now, some people would like to live under the law of Moses, selective parts of it. Probably not this part, but there are selective parts, and the law of Moses includes the Ten Commandments. And they'd like to live under those. And some people would say, you don't believe in the Ten Commandments? I believe that, that what the Scriptures say is that we're living under a new covenant. And nine of the Ten Commandments are, are already embodied in New Testament in New Testament uh, commandments. They are there. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. There's about 150 commandments in the New, New Testament, and they can keep us quite busy. The one out of the ten that's not in the New Testament, out of the ten commandments, is the restriction on the Sabbath. And if we still had that Sabbath, some people say, I observe the Sabbath. Oh, so you don't work on Saturday? No, I don't work on Sunday. Well, Sunday is not the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day has always been Saturday, will always be Saturday. It is the seventh day. So if you're not working on Sunday, but working on Saturday, you're in fact violating the Sabbath. And in fact, it's not just Saturday from when you wake up Saturday morning. It is Friday evening at 6 p.m. till Saturday evening at 6 p.m., roughly. It's from sundown to sundown. Friday night to Saturday night. That has always been the Sabbath day. You ask any Jews, when's the Sabbath day? The Sabbath day is not Sunday. The Sabbath day is not Saturday at 6 a.m. till Saturday midnight. The Sabbath day is Friday sundown till Saturday sundown. So most Christians who say that they observe the Sabbath day actually don't observe the Sabbath day. And they say, well, it doesn't matter the day I take one day of rest. That's fine. Take one day of rest. But you're not observing the Sabbath day. In Israel, it was never that you could choose the day of the week. Never. And in fact, it was really quite restrictive of the things that you could and couldn't do. So, this was one of the commandments in the Old Testament. And so they use this as an example. And Jesus says to them, they, so, so they say in the resurrection, whose wife is she going to be? She had seven, seven different brothers. And Jesus says, you are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures nor the power of God. And I'm telling you that generally, when we have some theological problem with Christianity, or we don't understand God and his ways, 
It's because of these two reasons. We're mistaken because we don't understand the Scriptures and we don't understand the power of God. Generally, the problem is with us. We don't understand the Scriptures. We primarily don't understand the Scriptures because we don't study the Scriptures. If you study the Scriptures, actually, you end up seeing that they are remarkable, absolutely remarkable document. And people that come to you and they say, the Bible is full of controversies. It, it is so fun to hear people say this. So fun. The Bible is full of controversies. And I say, name for me three. Well, you know, it's full of controversies. They say, okay, name for me three, because if it's full of controversies, it should be on every page. So name for me just three. Uh, uh, and it, you never get an answer. It's not full of controversies. Mainly, it's because we don't understand the Scriptures. So talk to somebody who understands the Scriptures a little better, and it, you know, a lot comes to light. Men and women have studied this book for thousands of years and they've figured out an enormous amount. This book is much more deeply studied than the subject of organic chemistry, for example. Put all organic chemists together and all the hours they've spent studying organic chemistry, it pales in comparison to the number of hours that this book has been studied. Really, this book has been dissected over and over and over again. And the answers are there. We just don't understand the Scriptures. And secondly, we don't understand the power of God because this book is different than any other book. It is not merely the words in this book in an analytical sense. It is, there is a coupling with the power of God that goes along with this book. And Jesus says, most of your problem is this. You are mistaken because you don't understand the Scriptures and you don't understand the power of God. And it gets back to that. And then he says, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Oh, you know, Jesus is sticking them pretty hard here. He's not just sticking them on the resurrection issue. He's sticking them on the angels issue too. Because remember, Sadducees don't believe in angels. He says, oh, in the resurrection, they're like angels. How do you like that, Sadducees? So Jesus believes very much in the resurrection, and Jesus believes in angels. And if you don't believe in angels and the resurrection, then maybe you know more than Jesus does. But to be a Christian, and to not believe in the resurrection, and to not believe in angels, you have to tear a lot of pages out of your Bible. And Jesus gave them a double hit here. He says, there is the resurrection and there are angels. He says, in heaven they're not married. And, you know, this is a real bummer for me because I love marriage. I mean, I talked about this with Shireen. I said, what am I going to do in heaven if I can't be married to you? I know that with all the good things that she does for people, she's a remarkable woman. She's going to have this huge mansion like, right on the same street as, as, as Jesus. She's going to be in the best neighborhood, and I'm going to be living in some doghouse with all the, the things that I say about people. And so I've already made a deal, and she's agreed to it, that I can stay with her in her house. She's going to have such a big mansion, she's going to have a lot of extra rooms, and she said that I could stay with her. Who's going to cook? That's part of this. <laughs> I'm trying to figure this thing out. So, 
if you enjoy marriage and enjoy the institution of marriage and have had a good marriage, you look at this and you say, oh my goodness, I'm going to miss you. So, we've already made this deal. I'm staying at your house. Um, But he says they're like angels. They're not given in marriage in heaven. He says, but regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. So he takes this foundational verse where God says, I am the God, not I was the God of Abraham. I was the God of Isaac, and I was the God of Jacob. He says, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. Jesus said, he's not God of the dead, but of the living. Jesus said, those people are very much alive. They are alive. They're not here on earth, but they're alive. Jesus is emphatic about the resurrection. Jesus believes in the resurrection. I mean, isn't that amazing? Jesus believes in the resurrection. Well, you know, this is a pretty important point. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, this is actually foundational for our faith. In Romans 10, 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved if you're willing to confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. You see that this puts what's, what's important in the resurrection. You know, when I first got saved, I didn't believe in the creation of a man named Adam and a woman named Eve. I do now, but I didn't at the time. Well, Could I be saved? Yes. According to this verse, it says that salvation is based on this. Willingness to confess that Jesus is Lord and willingness to believe that God has raised Jesus from the dead. These are the points that are necessary for Christian salvation. These are the points. It says it right here. Without the resurrection, without believing in the resurrection, you may say, well, that's an interesting concept. Well, that's great to say it's an interesting concept, but the Bible says there, that's a primary point. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it spells out the resurrection. It talks about the resurrection of Jesus. And in verse 12 of of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12, it says, Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead... How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, your faith also is in vain. If there is no resurrection, our faith is in vain, the scriptures say. I mean, that's, that's a pretty big deal, isn't it? You know, that's not just one of those verses you go, oh, <laughs> and you just flip by. No way. I mean, that's, a, that's an important verse. That's an important verse. He says, our faith is in vain without the resurrection. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. He says, we're liars. If we're preaching that Christ has not been raised, if we preach that Christ has been raised and he's really not, then we're liars. And he says, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. You see that? There is no getting past it. 
We're still in our sins. There is no salvation, no deliverance from our sins if Christ has not been raised from the dead. And then if you go down to verse 20, it says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. You see, the resurrection is not just for Jesus, it's for everyone. The Bible says actually that everyone will be raised, both the good and the evil. Those who are with Christ will live with Him eternally. Those who are without Christ will be raised and live without Him eternally. The resurrection will occur. And he goes on and he talks about this. And then he, he says, he talks about, you know, the very question that people will pose. Well, what about for all those bodies that have decomposed, or burned up in a fire, or, you know, died at sea and were eaten by fish? And, you know, there's nothing left to raise up. I mean, yeah, that's a valid question. What happens? Well, God took the atoms and he put us together once and he can do it all over again. He can do it again. He really can. Did you know all the atoms still exist? Remember, there's this conservation of mass. It's all here. You know, all the carbon atoms still exist. All the nitrogen, all the oxygen, all the phosphorus, it's still there. What's the matter, Ted? I mean, it's still there. It doesn't go away. Just because a fish eats it, I mean, the carbon is still there. Yeah, I mean, this, this is it. This is what it says. It says... But some of you will say, in verse 35 of 1 Corinthians 15, but some of you will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? You fool. That which was sown does not come to life unless it dies. I mean, the Bible's pretty blatant. I mean, you know, Paul says, you fool. You know, didn't Jesus say, if you call someone a fool, you can get in big trouble? I mean, here, here is Paul writing, and he says, you fool. He says, you fool, that which is sown does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. All flesh is not the same, but there is one flesh of man, another flesh of beasts, another flesh of birds, and another of fish. And he goes on in verse 42. So also in the resurrection of the dead, it is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. And he goes on. But clearly the Bible speaks of a physical resurrection. A physical resurrection. You will find many who say, well, okay, I believe in a resurrection. Okay, a spiritual resurrection. The Bible says that Jesus rose physically from the dead. They touched him. They saw him eat. Jesus said... You know, I'm not just a spirit. Spirits don't eat. And he ate bread in their presence in, in, in Luke chapter, chapter 25 or something like that. And in, in John chapter 20, they held him and they, they touched his body. The resurrection is clear. And what Jesus says is, you guys believe the scriptures? Because in fact, the Pharisees believed in the oral tradition as well as the written scriptures. The Sadducees only believed in the books written by Moses and not in the oral tradition. So what does Jesus do? Jesus takes exactly what Moses wrote 
I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. And gives it right back to them. It says, He is God of the living and not of the dead. This is remarkable, remarkable wisdom that Jesus was putting out here. Verse 33, when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. This is back in Matthew verse, uh, chapter 22. But one of the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, and they gathered themselves together. When the Pharisees heard this, they gathered together. I mean, this was an impressive thing. To take an entire sect and silence them with the wisdom of one line. He says, one, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is, the greatest, which, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. It's interesting that, that these, these two commandments, in verse 37, this, this, uh, this verse in verse 37 comes from Deuteronomy 6.5. The verse over in, in 39 comes from Leviticus 19.18. Neither of them comes from the Ten Commandments. So we say, oh, the Ten Commandments, those are the ones that hold. Well, when they asked Jesus, what are the greatest commandments in the law? Jesus didn't even quote the Ten Commandments. It's interesting. Now, the Ten Commandments were unique in that they were written by the finger of God. And nine of the ten are valid for us today because they're quoted in the New Testament for us to obey. But when they asked Jesus, what are the greatest commandments? He didn't even go back to the Ten Commandments. He took Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. If you look in the Old Testament, it says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. In the New Testament, it translates it as mind. Because he's saying that everything that's within you is coming from here. You know, there is a place for logically loving God from our mind. Everything within our being, we love Him. He says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. These two embody the entire law and the prophets. So you had the law, which was the, the law written by Moses. And then you had the songs and the prophets, which were the Psalms and the minor prophets. And so you had this. And Jesus said the whole thing can be embodied in these two verses. Right relationship with God, right relationship with man. If you've got to have both of them. You've got to have the right relationship with God and the right relationship with man. You know, we read last week how they brought a coin to Jesus. They said to Jesus, should we pay this poll tax? And Jesus said, bring me a coin. And he says, whose inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. He said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God that which is God's. That's what he said back up in verse 21. Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. We never covered rendering to God the things that are God's. There are things in our life that are God's. 
that belong to God. And he says what belongs to God is that we are to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. And if I found this easy, I would tell you, I don't find it easy. Again and again, year after year in my life, I come back, God, do I really love you enough? Am I giving my heart to you? I am so easily led astray into thinking of this and thinking of that and my mind dwelling on the wrong thing. And I have to say along with Paul, O wicked man that I am, who is going to save me from this body of sin and death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ who is able to save me. Giving to God that which is God's. What is your best hour of the day? Is it when you rise in the morning? For me, I'm better in the morning than I am at night. For other people, they're much better at night than they are in the morning. You take the best time that you have and you give it to God. Take the best time that you have. For some people, they can study the Scriptures much better in the evening than they can in the morning. For me, in the evening, I'm spent. I mean, my mind just doesn't work right. In fact, after about 2.30 or 3 p.m., my productivity goes way down. But early in the morning, I'm best. That time is God's. The first time in the morning is God's. Or do I not want to listen to what Jesus said? He said, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. With everything you, are to, you have, you are to love Him. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The Bible says, says that, that you can't Bless God. You can't please God if you, you, you're, you're being hard on your neighbor. In other words, the manifestation of what comes out of a relationship with God is what happens to our neighbor. I'll give you an example of how wicked the heart of man is. Here, we, we were so blessed. We had, we had 55 people to our home on Thursday for Thanksgiving, and many of you were there. And that was having after having 20 people to our home Wednesday night to help us set up Christmas decorations and Shireen fed them soup and sandwiches. And then 55 people came to our home on Thursday. You know, one would think, okay, if I just sit around here and just have Thanksgiving with my family, so my wife won't have to work that hard and you know, she's only got to cook for a few rather than 55. But you know what happens? When we give of our lives to bless others, we are so blessed in return. So blessed in return. He says you are to love your neighbor as yourself. For those of you that do not have a place to go, come and join us for Thanksgiving. As we give our lives to others, we are so blessed. You take a family that never extends themselves in giving beyond their own little family. There is not the joy, there is not the happiness, there is not the blessing. As you give of yourself, you will be blessed. And this does not happen when you just get your home and, you know, your own home and now I'm going to start inviting people in. No, it happens now. It happens now in your life. Let me give you some examples. When I... W- was uh, in graduate school. I lived my first year in graduate school in the, in the graduate dormitory. And I used to invite guys into my room and serve them hot chocolate and chocolate. 
And this is, this is, you know, the kinds of things that I had. And this is what I had to give. I know some of you invite people in for coffee. That is a great thing. You get in the habit of blessing people now at this age. You say, no, I'll miraculously turn it on and do it when I get my own home. Well, which home? How about your first apartment that's small? Oh, no, no, no. When I get my home, when I get a house. When you get a house, if that's when you first start thinking about blessing other people, you'll be so entrenched in selfishness, you'll never be able to turn the thing on. It's too late. It's too late. How do I know? Because I see it all the time in the church. So few people will bless people beyond their own family. You go ahead and start to reach out now. You have a... You say, well, all I have is a room and a bed. That's all I had. I had a room, a bed, and a desk. That's it. And, you know, I could serve chocolate and I had a little coffee pot that warmed water. And, and uh, you do this and you bless others and you will be blessed. Or else you live your life in selfishness. And then when you get a little bit larger apartment, you invite people in there. And you start blessing them. And it begins that way. And then you know what happens? You start meeting like-minded people. You will meet a spouse that thinks the same way. So you don't end up marrying some stinking selfish person because it's miserable. Miserable to be married to a selfish person. Miserable. And so people will see this and you will be likewise blessed. Do you think God would take you who is demonstrating selflessness and blessing other people and pair you together with someone who's deeply selfish to quench your selflessness? No. He'll make sure that he steers the selfish people away from you. And the selfless people he'll steer to you. Because he wants you to be coupled with someone like-minded in this way that will bless others. Learn to give of yourself and you will be greatly blessed. Jesus says the most important thing that you can do is you've got to love God with all your heart and you love your neighbor as yourself, and you demonstrate that in this way. Shireen has so much love for people. This woman loves people so much. She's gone. Right? So we don't have to make her feel self-conscious. So, she loves people so much, and this woman wakes up every morning with joy. You know, I can wake up, sometimes I'm happy, sometimes I'm angry. Sometimes She wakes up all the time happy. It's just remarkable. All the time, that woman wakes up happy. The woman is also always giving her life for other people. Always cooking for other people. Always bringing them somewhere, driving them somewhere, doing something for somebody, this person, that person. And the woman just overflows. When you live a life like this, you overflow with joy. Joy follows love. Joy follows love. Jesus said... I want my joy to be in you. And then he speaks of loving. Joy follows love. And love follows some act toward other people. Jesus knew exactly what you had to do. They said, what's the most important thing? Distill it down for me, Jesus. Crystallize it for me, Jesus. And he said... (laughs) And Jesus, you know... The greatest of chemists did it. He distilled it down. He said, you love God with everything you have and you bless other people as you would yourself. 
And this is the most important thing you can do. And what happens is it changes your life. Shireen asked me to tell you to do, ask you to do something. And, you know, a lot of people complain about young people, blah, young people don't do this, young people don't do that. I think young people are better than I ever was when I was young. And my experience is all you got to do is tell young people what they ought to be doing and a large majority of them pick that up and start doing it. That it's the instruction of older people that's difficult. You tell them to do something and they get offended. Who is he to tell me what to do? This is, this is the attitude. This is why I'm glad I don't teach old people. I teach young people. Let me tell you what I think you ought to do. I think you ought to write a letter to Roger and to the pastor. Write a letter, not an email, a letter. You actually take a piece of paper. There's a, there's a way to do this. It's on paper and you, you write something out. And thank them for the breakfast that the church buys every Sunday. Shireen spends between $250 and $300 on Sundays buying breakfast. You say, for that? Yeah. I mean, you look at the number she has to prepare for because we can have 80 people, 90 people walk in here so she cooks for that much because the last thing we want to do is be cheap. And so she buys, you know, she doesn't buy, you know, the store brand of orange juice. She buys, what is it, Minute Maid. Yeah, she buys the best stuff. Because when you buy for the body of Christ, you buy the best. If you want to buy for yourself, you know, the store-bought brand, you know, the, the, you know, the, the thing that says orange juice and nothing else on the label, buy it for yourself, but not for the body of Christ. Give the body of Christ the best. And you ought to thank them because they do a lot. And for the bus, that bus that picks up on campus, remember, there's the maintenance on that bus. And the insurance on the bus, you know how much insurance it is to have a bus that's carrying around 50 young people every week from campus and then 50 high school students during the week? I mean, just the insurance on the bus. And then you've got to have a bus driver. You know, the bus driver isn't a member of the church because we used to do that, but it never worked out well because members come and go and, and, and you know, they're away one Sunday and then the bus is, so we pay a bus driver. So the bus driver has to not just be a normal guy off the street, he has to have a bus driver license. And so the church pays for that. So it might be good to just write a letter because the pastor came to one of my son's football games. So what did she say to my son the next week? Get out a piece of paper and write him a letter to thank him. Josiah said, I already said thank you. She said, no, you get out a piece of paper and you write him a thank you letter for showing up to your football game. This is what a good mother does, right? She instructs her children how to be polite, how to be gracious, how to be thankful. And I think you ought to do this. And I think it would bless them. And you know what you're going to get in response for this? You're going to get people being thankful to you in your life. When you show gratefulness and thankfulness, the Bible says you reap what you sow. And then when you do things for people, they'll appreciate it and they'll say, hey, thank you. And they'll write you a little note. Hey, I appreciate that. Thank you. So it's probably a good practice to get into. And, I, and I hopefully I'll remember to say it next week when we have a lot more students back. But it's a good practice to get into, to bless others. Jesus said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says that embodies the whole law. There it is. Loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. You want people to appreciate your hard work? You appreciate theirs. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of the Scriptures, which just resonate in our hearts. Inherently, we know that this is good, 
And this is true. Lord, thank You for the beauty of the Scriptures. It is so good. Thank You, Lord, for the hope of the resurrection that we will live with You eternally. That You will raise us up with an imperishable body. That You, Lord Jesus, spoke of the resurrection and You spoke of angels. And Lord, thank You for the instruction to love You with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with everything within us we are to love You and to love others as ourselves. And Father, thank You that joy follows love and love has some action. Father, I pray for these young people that they would have good lives as they learn to give of themselves for others. Father, that they could wake up in the morning with joy because they've given of themselves for others. Father, I pray that You would raise up many selfless families through these young people and that Your blessings would be upon them. In the name of Jesus, Amen.